Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Firstly, before we di dive into the message, I just want to encourage you, if you um, would like to give towards the work that God is doing here at Limitless, we always just want to give you that, that opportunity. Um, you know, we've just seen God do so much, and we're watching him do so much. Caleb just mentioned Fermata opening on Saturday. Really want to encourage all you guys to go, because we're going to be able to not only share more of the vision for that, but the like, why are we doing that? And when all the masses of people from our city come to be transformed by Jesus, how are we going to meet their needs? How are we going to meet them? How are we going to help them to truly understand a relationship with Jesus? So we really want you guys to be part of that. Um, but all of that, we would, um, you know, we, we obviously need the funds to be able to do all of that. We're so trusting of God to bring that in. So there's absolutely no obligation. But if you have any desire to give towards the work that God is doing, uh, we will very, very prayerfully um, just pray for every single dollar that we get and use it only where we believe God is calling us to. Um, so there's my spiel on giving. Now let me pray for us, um, and then we'll dive into this message like Caleb mentioned. God, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you so much for the fact that your kingdom is literally on its head <laughs> compared to the kingdoms of the world. Uh, you literally turn everything upside down in such a beautiful way, God, because the world says that we need, to, we need to strive and work our way to the top, and you say, no, come, come and, and bow low before me, and I will be the one who makes you great. And, and you're the one who says, um, you know, the world says, you know, hoard all the stuff for ourselves, and you say, no, turn around and give with an open hand, and I will bless you beyond what you can understand. God, you are so good, and God, your ways are so much higher than our, our understanding or our ways. And God, we just, uh, we, we trust you. We thank you, Jesus. And we just pray that you would pour out abundant blessing on every single person here, God, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, God, that every per person would feel touched by your love because that is the most abundance that we could live in. And so we just thank you for that today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so <clears throat> several years ago, Cody and I ended up um, doing a class on the covenants, and it really transformed our lives. And um, ever since then, we've, we've wanted to do, we've, we've um, shared it before in one of our midweek series several years ago. Um, and it's one of those series that it can be a little more heady, so we're always like, well, should we do it, shouldn't we? But the more we've talked about it, the more we've prayed about it, it really changed the way that we saw Jesus and the Bible and God. How many of you guys have ever looked at the Old Testament and like you're reading the Old Testament, you're like, dude, God's pissed, right? Like what is up? Like what is going on? And I know there's sometimes where I'm like reading the Old Testament. And I was like, oh, uh, how do I, how do I make excuses for this? You know? And, and it used to really just baffle me because I was like, it just felt, you know, and then Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, hey, when you see me, you've seen the father. But when I look at Jesus, he looks quite different than what I see in the Old Testament. And it used to really throw me off a lot until we started to understand this idea of covenants. The amazing thing is that God, since the beginning of time, for whatever reason, decided that he wanted relationship with the people he created. And he literally, the, the entire Bible is just, just the story, the journey of, of mankind, of men and women who are born and they tend to always fail a lot. And yet the story is this amazing God who keeps on pursuing them no matter what. 
no matter what, and another chance, and giving them another chance, and another chance, and showing himself, and revealing himself more, and more, and more, and more, and it's this amazing story of this God, and his relentless pursuit of people, and, and one of the things that we have, you know, is so foundational for us, because we see it as so foundational in the word of God, is that God is a good God, that we can trust him, that he's in a good mood, that, that right now, you see, he's looking down on us. He has a big smile on his face. He's not sitting there going, well, I saw what you did last night. Well, I'm kind of pissed at the fact that you didn't say sorry last week. Well, you know, we, we often can see him as this God who's in a bad mood or this God who's like eternally mad at us. And then Jesus is jumping in the way going, hey, dad, look that way. They're fine, okay? Like, that's what we view it as. But the truth is that God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one, right? And, and they, God is truly in a good mood. And that changes everything. I think about, you know, my kids. When I'm in a really, really good mood, you know, like, really good mood, and my kids do something silly, I'm like, oh, kids, come on, let me help you. Stop doing, okay, stop hitting your sister. We're going to be fine, you know, stop, whatever it is, right? And I can come in because I'm in this positive. My perspective is different. But how about you guys, any of you guys, like you're in a bad mood and your kid comes in and like knocks over a glass of water and you're like, what on earth are you thinking? I will smite you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? And that is so, like that makes all the difference. God and his character being good makes all the difference. Because when he looks at us and when we mess up, he's not going, what the heck were you thinking? He's going, oh, I created you. I know exactly why you just did that. Like, I am a good God. And, and we can trust him. It's such an amazing thing when we start to recognize who he is. But then when we look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, Testament you can really look at like Old Covenant, the covenant is this agreement, right, this kind of contract that God goes into with mankind and different people, different um, people throughout time. And so the old covenant or the Old Testament, we see that God acts quite differently, but it really has a lot more to do with the covenant that he's entered into. But his character has never changed. This is the story of God's relentless pursuit, like I said. I want to read to you guys Jeremiah 32, verses 38 through 42. And this is God looking forward to the type of covenant that we get to enjoy now. He says, they will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose, to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. And I will find joy doing good for them. And I will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. This is what the Lord says, just as I have brought all these calamities on them, so I will do all the good that I have promised them. I want to highlight to you the fact that God says he's going to enter into this covenant, and in this covenant with us, with his people, 
He will never stop doing good for us. He will replant us. He will, have, he will give us a heart for worship. All these beautiful things. And then at the end, it does say these things that, that can kind of hit us. Just as I brought all these calamities on them and we're going, oh, wait, if he's a good God, why does he bring calamities on us? But then he says, so I will do all the good that I have promised. And we're going to get into that, but I just want to make sure we don't get left here in this because we can so often, and this is one of the big reasons why Cody and I really felt like now's the time to do the covenants is because there's a lot of talk of revival going on around the the nation, around the world, right? Have you guys heard that? (laughs) Like there's revivals breaking out in universities and homes and all kinds of places. And it's so amazing. But if you are viewing God through the wrong covenant, you can start to see things the wrong way. If you still think we're stuck in the old covenant, you will start to see things through his eyes of judgment because that's some of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is there, was, there were um, blessings and curses. That was part of the covenant. But the covenant that we are in now is not that covenant. And and we need to realize that God, it says that every good and perfect gift is from above, right? God does not bring judgment on us anymore. The judgment has already been poured out, right? And there will be a final, final judgment in the future. But so many people can start to go, oh, judgment is coming for California. Watch out. We're going to fall off into the ocean, right? <laughs> and I just want to tell you, like, we're going to get more into we're going to get more into that, but I just want to warn you, when you hear things like that, make sure you go back to the word. Make sure you go back to God and go, hey, are you pouring out judgment on us right now? Or are you just giving us an opportunity for good, the good, right? So that's just a little side note. We're going to get way more into that. But I just want to remind you that he is always righteous, right? God is always righteous. And I want to ask you guys, what does righteousness actually mean? What does righteousness actually mean? Because a lot of people think that righteousness means being in like a right relationship with God would be righteousness, right? Or the dictionary defines it more as being morally upright, just, right, morally right, or virtuous. The true definition of righteousness is actually a fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship, whether with God or other people. It's actually conformity to a certain set of expectations, which might vary role to role. So, for example, righteousness in a relationship with Cody and I would be when, I, when, when he and I are both basically living out what's expected of us in this marriage. But that would be very different than the type of relationship that I have with my parents, right? So, so righteousness actually means being faithful to the covenant that you are in. So, so being righteous in my relationship with Cody is being faithful to the covenant that we have. But my covenant with some of you, if I have a covenant with you guys, like as, as a leader, it's going to look very different, right? But r- true righteousness is when I'm faithful to the covenant that I've entered into. Does that make sense? And so that's as we look at God, we see the way that he responds He is always righteous, but he always has to be faithful to whatever the covenant he he has entered into. Is that making sense? Okay, I told you it's a little heady, but there's a lot of really good stuff. So next we're going to talk about um, what are the different types of covenants. Yes, okay. So like Tertia said, this is super, super heady, so just hang with us because I love where this ends. 
like this series. It's absolutely amazing. We're, we're actually going to step into what's avail, available for us right now in the new covenant. So just hold on your seats. It's going to get amazing. Um, so as we go through these covenants, there's different types of covenants that were established in ancient times. Um, so you have things like a grant covenant, and that's when a greater or lesser person or king comes into a covenant with someone. The greater one, one takes on all the obligations, and the lesser one just receives. So it's just pretty much like somebody comes in, um, like a king or, or, a, or a, like a greater, more powerful you know, group or whatever, and they actually offer protection to another group, a, a lesser, uh, le- more vulnerable group, no strings attached. So basically, like if, if Cody in this situation, obviously not in a marriage, but let's say Cody's a king, and he comes along. Hello, Cody the king. And he comes along, and I'm either just like a, you know, a group of, of people who are just kind of struggling on our own or whatever, or I'm, a, I'm also a queen or a king, um, but I, I have less power, less authority, right? And so he comes along, and he goes, hey, I'll take care of you. No strings attached. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll be like kind of an ally to you. That's a grant covenant. When a more powerful person or king or authority or whatever comes to a less powerful one and says, hey, I'll take care of you, no strings attached. So that's grant covenant. Yes. The next one is a kinship covenant, kinship. And that basically means if two equal parties come together. So two, whether it's like a business dealing, we come together and we go, hey, we're going to form this partnership. And obligation is on both sides, right? Obligation is on both sides. Uh, both of us have, you know, certain things that we say we'll bring to the table. And if either one of us messes that up, there's consequences for either one of us, right? So that's like a contract or a covenant that's called a kinship covenant. And the last one is a vassal covenant, and we s- you even see this in Scripture all over the place with, um, you know, where a, a king will come in and conquer, and then that group that's conquered is, um, yes, you're down here, and um, pretty much all the obligation is on them to serve me, give me taxes, um, and if they screw up, I can just squash them, right? We see that all over. That's, uh, that's just ancient history, right? A, a kingdom will come in, conquer another one, and make slaves, right? So that's a vassal covenant. It's me. Okay. <laughs> so what we're really trying to do as we kind of like step into this next season is offer you another lens to see through. Because I think often in our like modern pop Christianity, we're looking through a lot of lenses we don't even realize we're looking through. Um, some of those lenses can be something called dispensationalism. Um, some of you are like, what? Um, I'm not going to go into that. But it's like looking through, like actually looking through scripture and looking prophetically through um, different, like in Revelation, through the churches of Revelation and saying like, well, this church represents this period of history and this church represents this period in history and trying to actually put our, our, like the current events and things like that and actually say, we're in this dispensation so that would make sense why things are blowing up and whatever and God's judgment is pouring out on us. So that's the lens to look that we often look through. Another lens we could look through is um, New Covenant theology. We're like, what is that? That sounds wonderful. That sounds great. We're in the New Covenant. But it's actually saying where Jesus came and he didn't actually like fulfill the law and do away with the law, but he actually added his rules on top of the law. So instead of 613 rules, we now have how many rules to follow? 
we have 1,050 to follow. So then we're trying to upkeep two different covenants. We're actually trying to like be over here trying to follow the law of Moses, which we don't even follow the shellfish things and all that kind of stuff. But we're like fi- trying to like, p- like pick, cherry pick certain laws to follow. And then we're over here and Jesus is saying something completely different. So we're trying to upkeep two things. And when you have two covenants working at the same time, it's toxic. Or it could even be that you've said, okay, the old covenant is done away with, Mm -hmm. but the new covenant has replaced it, but there's still Jesus and and the the apostles in the New Testament still give over a thousand rules. Anybody want to follow a thousand rules? Right? So even though you've said, okay, well, I've done away with the old, I'm still following a rule book. Yep. And that's where we can get, that's where a lot of people, a lot of Christians, myself included at times, can get into this, am I living the right way? Am I doing the right thing? And we get into this, like, it's still a law-based earning type of covenant. Yeah. But here's where we're landing. This is where we're landing this plane in a few weeks is the new covenant, the better covenant. This is what Paul calls in Hebrews 8, 6. He says, but now he, being Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. That's what we get. Amazing. Um, so we're going to actually go through five covenants. We're going to start today with the Noahic covenant, the covenant God made with Noah. And then we're going to go into the, co- the covenant God made with Abraham next week. And then we're going to split two weeks with Moses because that's a big one. That's the old covenant. That's the one that gets really, really convoluted and confusing. Then we're going to go into the covenant God made with David, which is very interesting because it's a covenant within a covenant. It's actually God, um, the Mosaic covenant's going on, but God actually finds David, who is a a man after God's own heart. And he actually, David actually pulls new covenant realities in the old covenant. Very interesting. And then we're going to land it with the new covenant, the better covenant. All right. Um, so when we're talking through covenants, there's God makes covenants with people. He makes agreements with people. And the events surrounding that covenant is called the canon of that covenant, right? So, for example, like, uh, again, Tertia and I, we made this covenant. The canon surrounding our covenant would be things like our wedding, the event that happened. It would be like... Um, our, you know, our marriage license, marriage certificate. It would be things like photo books. It would be things like all the stuff that went around that covenant that we made. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, it's just to keep things in context because sometimes we could pull things out of context. Um, we we kind of need to, co- to put it together. And what's really interesting about this whole thing is you could almost view the Bible in this way. You could view it in covenants, like, look at how God walked with this person. Look at how he walked with this person. When we cross, sometimes there's prophetic things in, in different covenants that point to a better covenant, right? But if we, if we get those out of context, they get super confusing. Okay, so jumping into the Noahic covenant, the covenant God made with Noah. Um, this takes place in Genesis 9, but it actually spans, this covenant spans creation to the Tower of Babel. Um, I don't need to go into it. But if you want to if you like want to jump into that this week, read from creation to the covenant uh, to the tower of Babel and that's the, that's the whole canon of the Noahic covenant. Um I, we brought this up before but this is so amazing. I love this. I love this. Um you guys know Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Yeah. Right? He was the plan from the the beginning. It says that he was he was slain at, by the about the foundation of the earth. There's actually prophecy in the names of people in um in in the genealogy in before noah in the um 
in that canon. So I'm just going to read this out. I don't think we have a slide or anything, but do we have a slide? Yes. Okay, so check this out. These are all the names uh, heading up to Noah in the genealogies, but check this out. Jesus is awesome. Adam means man. Seth, appointed. Enosh, mortal. Kenan, sorrow. Mahalalk, the blessed God. Jared, to come down. Enoch, teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, the weary. Noah, rest. How amazing is that? Jesus was the plan from the beginning. I love it. Um, How many want to name your kid Methuselah now? Methuselah, right? his death shall bring, which is, an in, which is actually an interesting thing to say because these, these people didn't have that lens to look through, right? They aren't living in the new covenant. They're actually living in, a, in creation. They're actually living in a covenant that God had made with Noah. And as when Methuselah, his death shall bring, I bet they're like wondering, what's his death going to bring, <laughs> Right? which is very, really crazy, the year of the flood, which it did. The Methuselah died the same year as the flood. Okay, so, yeah, man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God to come down teaching, his death shall bring the weary rest. That's awesome. You can't, you can't like, make that up, right? That's insane. Just God's amazing. Um, Jesus was the plan from the beginning. So talking, when we talk about Noah, like, I think sometimes, like, it was kind of funny, like, in Sunday school and, like, in nurseries, it's like, Noah's Ark. It's like, it's actually really horrific, right? <laughs> like, it's pretty horrific. God floods the whole earth. He, he destroys all that he's made except he saves one righteous man. And what, what does that say? Actually, because he's saying Noah is one righteous man. He's, he's walking upright. That means that things were pretty dang wicked, Right, right now, like we, we talk about the wickedness going on in the earth right now, which is pretty dang wicked, but back then it was so bad. I mean, you, you got to think, there was no moral fabric. When we're talking covenants, like we are living, even, even people who aren't believers are living somewhat morally because of what Jesus did. Do you guys know that? Like our morals come from Judeo-Christian values that are not like, they're, they're just not normal. Like, there is this, our civilization we live in is actually fairly good compared to what it has been. You know, a lot of people are like, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe these people are getting more wicked, but I think that things are actually getting better. But we'll talk about that later. And some of you are like, no, it's not. It's getting worse. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't sound like that, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So... God, being who he is, it's, it wasn't actually his wrath that was poured out. We're going to get to that. This is interesting. There's a difference between God's wrath and God's grief. God was grieved. He was so grieved that he's like, I just got to wipe them out. They are so bad. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing these awful things to each other. I'm just going to wipe them out. So we actually need to get a different, like, realization that it was that bad. Um. Yes. So it says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that uh, they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals, the scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. 
but Noah found favor with the Lord. And this is an interesting thing, too. It just shows that God has emotion. God can regret. Isn't that crazy? Like some of us, we, we have this like stoic like belief about God, which is so Greek, but it's not true. Like God has emotion. Like we can grieve him. Um, he's grieved, but he makes an entire miraculous pan- plan for one righteous man. Um, but he, what does he say? This is where the covenant's promised. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. This is with Noah. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This is another interesting little side note. Uh, Genesis 6.3 talks about this 120 years, right? I don't remember the exact, I, I don't have a Bible up here. Man, I'm such a sinner. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, it talks about, um, and the, the, the time will be 120 years, and a lot of us take that, and we think that God put a cap on our lifespans. Like, oh, well, no one's supposed to live above two, 120 years. He's not saying that. He's actually saying that it's going to be 120 years until the flood comes. So it's a little side note for you guys. So if you want to live past 120 years, you're allowed to. Um, actually, I think we're supposed to actually be living longer, longer, longer. We're getting back to the garden, right? But they're living long, long, long. We're actually not supposed to die. Just chew on that a little bit. <laughs> so the covenant is established after the flood. It's scary. It's awesome. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. (coughs) Okay. So going back talking about the types of cov- type of covenants, this is an absolute grant covenant, and you're about to find out why. A um, couple other notes. It never rained before. So God gave them a sign, right? He gave them a rainbow to actually to, to show a sign of the covenant that, like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Why? He's righteous, and he will uphold his end of the covenant. So whenever you see rain and the rainbow, he's like, God's not going to flood the earth anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> also, we got... The other night, our backyard was, anybody else, like, backyard flooding? I was like, it's, Cody, it's yep. coming to the door. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm like, got an Uber home, and like, I was just, like, I was pushing water around with a broom. It was awesome. Um, um, also to, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> yes. So, to show this is a grant covenant, what's the first thing it brings up after? Which, it's interesting, because I, like, yeah. So, in... The New Testament says don't get drunk with wine. Instead, get drunk on the Spirit, right? So technically, if we're getting drunk, that's sin, right? Yeah? Anybody? Okay. Awesome. Um, What does Noah do as soon as he gets off the boat? He gets drunk. Yep. Yeah, he gets drunk. So showing this is a grant covenant, God doesn't hold that against him, right? That was not established. God actually covers him right, with his sons. His sons come and cover him. This is a grant covenant. Um, And then Genesis 10, Noah's son's descendants spread throughout the earth. Yep. Continue on with the canon of Noah. Awesome. So then the the canon of Noah and um, 
the, the covenant really comes to an end in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. And I just want to point out, actually, the sons who came and covered Noah, the one who didn't, the one who laughed, was Ham. And it was actually uh, the, the descendants of Ham who end up kind of causing all kinds of chaos later on. So it says in Genesis 11, verses 3 and 4, they said to each other, come. So now, you know, between Genesis 10 and 11, a whole bunch more people have you know, come. Now there's a, there's a whole group again. And so this is the descendants of Ham. It says, they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So it's super interesting here. How many of you guys have ever read the Tower of Babel and been like, what? Like, what is going on? And it's really interesting because here, again, they come, and it says that um, after Noah, it says he, that the descendants spread out. But now they come together, and they are coming against God's commands because God co God's command, even at the beginning of creation, is go out, right? Go out and subdue the earth. Like, like we were supposed to, from the Garden of Eden, go out and overcome evil. But instead, they don't want to go out and do what they're mandated to do. They want to come together and just gather together and make a great name for themselves. And so it's super interesting that right away they are going against God's command by even just wanting to come together, but in order not to make God's name great, but to make their name great, like a superpower or, or it's, people often said it's like they wanted to kind of create, they, want, they were thriving um, and seeking on power so much. And then it says that they built a tower that reached the heavens. Now, obviously, it's not po possible to threaten God with a building, right? So actually the, the word there is better translated a tower to honor the heavens. So it's a tower that they're building um, that really is kind of uh, astrology and it's, and it's the worship of creation rather than the creator. And it's, it actually talks about how there were um, these buildings, these huge buildings at the time called ziggurats. And they were really common in that area, especially Babylon or here, Babylon is Babel. And they have the most elaborate, um, these most elaborate buildings, but it's all associated with the occult instead of with worshiping God. And these people, though, you have to realize they are extremely intelligent. Even in these, it says they're no longer using stone. They've now learned how to make bricks. They're using tar for mortar. So they're extremely intelligent, and they are making these elaborate buildings, but all to elevate themselves and to worship creation rather than the creator. And Genesis 11:5 says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. It's fascinating that he even says he came down because at the time he's just like, what you guys doing down there? What you can, you know, and it's and it's just interesting that God comes down and it's the descendants of Ham that are trying to be great apart from God, just like Adam and Eve. 
just like Adam and Eve, they're going like, we have everything and God's given us this amazing commission. And yet instead, what they're wanting to do is make their names great. They want the knowledge. They want to be like God. They are convinced that that's the way to go. But you want to know what's so fascinating here, and I know I've talked about this before, but I think this is a really important part of just seeing God's character. Here these people come together at Babel, and they're saying, we want to make our name great. We want to be great. And, and God goes, nope, and scatters them and takes all these people and gives them all different language and confuses them. He causes confusion so that they have to be scattered again so that they won't. Basically, it says, like, they, like anything will be possible for them. But then in contrast, in the next, very next chapter in Genesis 12, Abraham comes on the scene. And what is the first thing that God says to Abraham? He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And so here the people are trying to make themselves great, and we see God go scatter them, and we think, oh, God doesn't want us to be great. But then the ne very next chapter, we see God go to a man, Abraham, and because of his humility, because he is looking to God and not himself, God goes, and I will make you, not just you great, but I will make you a great nation. And your descendants will be great. And I will bless you. And I will bless your descendants. You see, it isn't that God is, being oppo is opposed to being great. He just knows the greatness apart from him is actually going to hurt us. He just knows the greatness apart from him is not actually greatness. It actually will cause pain and suffering and selfishness, and, and hurt for other people. He's seen this. He knows. But he knows that greatness, when it is directed and partnered with him, can change the world. And that's what he does with Abraham. <clears throat> so in Genesis 11, verses 6 through 9, it says that God causes, um, his response to Babel is that he causes confusion, and he sends them out. He scatters them. But then later on in Zephaniah, he promises to reverse what happened at Babel. I want to read to you Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, and we're almost done. It says, Then I will purify the lips of the people, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. And what's so incredible, you guys, is this is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Because at Babel, he scatters the people and he gives them all different languages. And at Acts, he brings them together. Whew. He brings the nations together and he gives them a tongue that they can all understand each other. He pours out his spirit on them. And through them, he turns the whole world upside down. And what happened then has changed the world and is changing lives and transforming lives today. He brought us together. And, but what he says is that when we try to come together for our own good, when we come together not with him, it will never work out well. But when he brings us together, the, 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 the same truth is there for good and for evil, that when people unite, 
there is power. Nothing is impossible. But he knows that when people come together for evil, for their own good, it's going to cause chaos in the world. But he knows that when he brings people together, when he draws people together, when he unites people, it will change the world and advance his kingdom for his good and for our good. Nothing will be impossible for them. And he gives us the same power through the Spirit, but so much better than what they were seeking. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, He replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The power that God withheld at Babel is freely given to us today. If we will just partner with him, if we, like Abraham, will go, wherever you send me, I will go. Whatever you say, I will do. And that's this incredible thing about the covenants is that we now, I can't, like this is the punchline that we're getting to all the time, is that through all the covenants, None of them, when it came from God making covenants with man, man always messed it up. And so therefore, God sent his only son and made a covenant through him that we can never mess up. And we get to enter into that covenant with Jesus being our mediator, with Jesus being the other side of the covenant that we get to enter into. And with that, God pours out his spirit and he brings us together and he says, That if you will even just have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. That's awesome. That's so good. Um, We could have the worship team start to come up, actually. That went a lot faster than I thought it would. <laughs> we were, it's so funny because we were so scared. Like, we don't want to get too heady or, like, give too much theology or too, be too teachy because, like, we didn't want, you know, we didn't want to lose people. But the thing is, this is so powerful. Like, this is so powerful. When we actually get to remove blocks, you know, in our minds, right? We're supposed to renew our minds. When we remove those blocks that actually prevent us from fully embracing God's goodness, that's huge. Because, like, some of us will walk through life and we'll, like, yeah, God is good. But in the back of our minds, like, but what about that? What about that? And we don't feel like it's a safe place to ask questions. Like, God seems really mean right there. That's pretty messed up. You know, which we want to actually invite those questions as well, like, as a church. I think that kind of we value as a culture, like, being open and honest and, like, asking questions. Um, So just as we walk through these covenants, I promise it's going to get crazier and crazier and more awesome, and just watching the contrast between the stuff that God entered into that he didn't necessarily want to, but because he's pursuing imperfect people, he did, right? It's like the most beautiful thing you'll ever hear, that he, the, the, the lengths that he went to to pursue people all the way to the lengths of sending his son, for God so loved the world. Amen. Yeah, I just feel like there's there's something on what Seth said last week, too, that has just been like God's just been putting his finger on it again and again and again. And that is that God does not force himself on us, and he does not force us to do anything for him. That we have self-control. That literally he goes, I have everything for you, but you are the only one who could reach out and grab it. He goes, I've, I've, I've made a way that there is perfect healing for you that you can let go of your past and move into your future unhindered. 
I've made a way that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. But we have to be the ones who reach out and say yes. And even in this, like I just get so hit with the fact that at, at Pentecost here, God takes everything and he reverses it. And he goes like, I will bring people together for my purposes. And with that, I will make their name great, not because of who they are, but because I want to see, like, isn't that the beauty of the word? That as you see people and they mess things up so bad, and it's in their weakness that he is strong. Like, that's what it is. It's like, I will make them great. Why? Because we get to stand here and go, it's not, it's not me, it's him. Like, I'm literally nothing. I'm literally the girl who was scared to raise my hand in school. Like, for each of you, you have that same story where it's like, I was, I was like in bondage or I was so broken or I was so alone or I was so afraid or I was so whatever, fill in the blank. And because he came. But the powerful thing is that he is not just sending out individual little lights into the world. He is calling together people who will say yes to him. He is calling together, like on Pentecost, he is calling together a people who will wait on him. And we can't make anything happen. I saw this like really funny meme, meme around, uh, or real or whatever, I don't know, I can't keep up with the times. Whatever it's called around uh, Pentecost, this guy, Gabriel Lopez, and he's like pretending to be Peter at Pentecost. And he's like, all right, God, like let's, people are leaving like are you going to show up now right and I feel like that's like so us sometimes like we're like God are you going to come on but we have no idea what's going to come when he chooses to move right and what we can do is position ourselves that is the part that we play is we position ourselves like Cody said right at the beginning and that we say we are so open to whatever you want to do God whether it looks messy, whether it looks nothing like we ever thought it would, whatever it is, God, we say yes to you. God, we are a people who say, we don't want to make a name for ourselves. We just want to look to you and make your name great. Jesus, we will go wherever you send us. We will do whatever you call us to do. We will come humbly before you. And we will step in and say yes to everything that you offer. God, you are the God who says, who says, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. And you say, you say to us, God, that when we come and we bow low, you will lift our heads. And you're the God who says that when we will come before you, you will do the impossible. That when we will step in and say, man, I believe, but help my unbelief. You will show up with signs and miracles. God, your kingdom is upside down. And God, we just want to come before you as your people and say, have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way in our hearts. God, if there's any way, God, I just want to repent before you that there are so many times where we're I believe, and I think the Western church believes that we have it all figured out and we know how you want to show up and we're going to do things, you know, the way that we know is best. But instead, God, we want to just come before you and we want to repent from always going our own way. We want to repent from ever limiting you, God, from ever thinking that we have it all together. And God, we just want to say, you show up, you show off. 
You're the one who makes your name great. You're the one who chooses when to move. But God, we get to step into that and say that we are open. We are your vessels. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, there's no greater honor than to worship and to serve you. God, have your way.